Don't worry about anything but in everything by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through. Christ Jesus, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Thanks for joining us today. This is the Hour of Intercession. I'm Pastor Joseph Parker. We invite you to look with us in the Word of God to begin with in the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, beginning at verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chafe which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. All of Psalm 1. Then looking in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Romans 12, starting at verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All of Romans chapter 12. Father, thank you once again for your word. Thank you for the power, the grace, the, uh, the anointing, the rest that rests upon your word. Thank you for the blessing that is ours when we make time to read, meditate, and spend time in your word, and thus spend time one-on-one with you. Father, more and more with every passing day, help us to fall more in love with you and with your word, and empower us to become much more faithful hearers and doers of your word. Father, Lord, we live in a world where 
We make many mistakes, sometimes every single day. Yet, thank you for being the merciful, the patient, and kind Heavenly Father that you are. Help us to be wise enough to walk in your word and its power each and every day faithfully. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Hour of Intercession. Rick Robertson is our producer. He's going to lead us in a word of prayer this time. Father, we come to you today to lift high your holy name. Father, thank you for your great mercy that you show us day by day. We're thankful for uh, you stooping down to, to rescue us, sending your Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for us. We rejoice in that today, Father. We thank you for that. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ray. And thank you again for being a part of our listening family. We are blessed, very blessed and honored to have once again uh, Dr. Matt Ayers. He's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Dr. Ayers, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Pastor. How are you? Great. Great good, to have good. you once again and an honor. And I had the honor and the privilege of being able to come down and speak at chapel and really enjoy that experience and getting a chance to see and meet more people that are part of your great staff that you have there. As we begin, I'm going to ask if you'll further introduce yourself and then tell our listeners about Wesley Biblical Seminary, its work, and its mission. Yeah, sure. Thank you, and it's great to be back. Um, So I'm Dr. Matt Ayers. I'm the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary, and I moved to uh, serve at Wesley about two, two and a half years ago. Uh, Moved from Haiti, my wife and I uh, and our family, we were missionaries serving at a Christian university in Haiti in Capetian for 13 years. And um, God called us from that little island in the Caribbean to little island of Mississippi in the Jackson metro area, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm an alumni or alumnus of Wesley Biblical Seminary, and um, yeah, and during my time in Haiti, um, also completed a PhD in Old Testament studies uh, from University in England, uh, specifically the book of Psalms. It was great to hear you read from Psalm 1, one of my favorite passages of scripture, and uh, and and uh, so yeah, completed the PhD in Psalm studies, specifically Hebrew poetry and parallelism and linguistics. And uh, have since, you know, just been working hard to continue to teach. My calling is primarily teaching Scripture, and I keep finding myself, uh, the Lord calling me into leadership roles in higher academic administration, and there's a, um, you know, a delight that comes with that. Uh, Wesley Biblical Seminary, where we're serving now, sort of our our tagline is to develop trusted leaders for faithful churches. Uh, There's about 272 uh, accredited seminaries in North America, and um, we're one of those seminaries. And uh, however, we are one of the few seminaries that continue to stand firm on the doctrine of inerrancy of Scripture, as well as uh, the proclamation of the holiness message of Scripture. And what I mean by holiness, uh, there's there's all sorts of different definitions out there. We are of a Wesleyan, Arminian, specifically American holiness uh, movement tradition. So we're, what does that mean? We're primarily training uh, Methodists, we're training Nazarenes, we're training some Pentecostals, um, uh, we quite a broad range, but primarily the Wesleyan, Arminian, and 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 we. Um, you know, we we have a strong calling to proclaim what we call the full gospel message, which is that being a Christian isn't merely about the forgiveness of our sins and a change of status from guilty to innocent, but rather the regeneration of our lives and holy living, um, specifically that we're free not just from the guilt of sin, but also from the power 
of sin, that we need not continue sinning. And so that's the tradition of Wesley Biblical Seminary. Uh, we have about, uh, usually in the fall semesters, we have somewhere around 400 students. And so we're considered to be a mid-sized seminary and uh, almost entirely online. We have a polysynchronous program where students can take classes in person or via Zoom or watch the Zoom recording, but all course lectures are done fresh every week. And uh, it's a wonderful worshiping community at WBS. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, as we begin, um, I want to ask, uh, Dr. Ayers, would you uh, pray for listeners now? Um, you know, many of our listeners might think, well, um, it's nice to hear from a seminary professor, but I'm not planning to go to seminary, so yeah. I don't think I need to listen in. But would you pray that the Lord would help every listener to have ears to hear? Because, of course, we'll be touching on some other topics. But also, the Word of God is to be the foundation of everything. Right. And so would you pray for people to really be wide open to what the Holy Spirit may want to say to every single listener today? Yes, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the fact that you are the living word and we find you in the written word. And uh, as you told those two men on their walk to Emmaus, um, that the entire word of God, starting with Moses and the Pentateuch, is all about you. And Lord, we seek to find you in the written word as the living word And we, uh, Lord, trust and believe uh, that the Holy Spirit is the one who inspires the writing of that word, but also inspires the interpretation of the word that helps us to understand not just what the words say, but what the words mean, and that you convict us. It's alive. It's a two-edged sword and divides soul and spirit, Lord. And we pray uh, that your word uh, would continue to convict with the help of the Holy Spirit, and that we would be tapped into the thinking and the mind of the Holy Trinity uh, as we read the word and seek to understand the word with the help of the Holy Spirit and by your grace. So, Lord, help us uh, not just to find you, but be conformed to your very image and uh, be led to a place where we can know you more intimately and more deeply. And we thank you and we praise you for redeeming us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Uh, Dr. Ayers, I want to ask you to comment on just this, um, the truths behind this reality. Um, I think of this that like, uh, by the grace of the Lord, I've had the privilege of being a pastor for most of the last 47 years. Mm. And a priority that for me as a pastor is teaching believers the importance of spiritual disciplines. Mm. Specifically, mm-hmm. I, I pretty regularly challenge believers through the broadcast and otherwise set a goal of reading at least three chapters a day. And I'm aware sometimes people say, well, that sounds so legalistic. But I think that personally, I think it's sort of a dumb thing to say. The fact is disciplines or, or habits are a critical part of life. But we live in a world today where you have many parents that are so worried about their children because, again, they have children that grew up in church, they go off to college and come back atheists or close to that. Right. And I want to ask if you'll share your thoughts about why that's true and why, as believers, we have to think so differently about the whole matter of education from a Bible perspective. Yeah, so, um, man, there's so much to be said on this. And I think that, you know, uh, let me start with our own experience, right? So we're missionaries in Haiti, and we have a bit of a dilemma on what to do about our our kids' education because there's not just schools as you would have them here that you can send your your kids to. There are some missionary schools um, uh, that we could send the kids to, and and great people running those schools. But you know, it's it's the education context in Haiti is just different. You know, do I send my kids even to Haitian school where they learn French and and learn according to a French? curriculum. And um, a lot of the the better schools in Haiti are Roman Catholic schools. And so do you send your kids to the Roman Catholic schools? And so there's, it's not quite as simple in that context. So 
we prayed and fasted over this. And I, I would say that's like step one. My recommendation to anyone in terms of trying to make decisions about their kids' education is you got to pray and fast and make sure you get the fasting in there too mm-hmm. um, to, to discern because every kid is different, every family is different, and um, we have to think God's thoughts on the matter. So we always have to be tuned in. And, and we very much, very clearly sensed God calling us to uh, homeschool. And, uh, and a lot of that had to do with the influence of one of my uh, seminary professors uh, at Wesley Biblical Seminary, Dr. Matt Friedman, and his thinking about uh, the indoctrination of children and the discipling of children and raising up children in the image of Christ and, and being obedient to the command of Scripture to do such. And so uh, we decided to homeschool. Then when we moved to Mississippi, we have yet another decision to make. Now that we have more options available to us, do we continue to homeschool? And so we decided to homeschool. And and the, the, the primary objection, you know, there's loads of biblical evidence that we could rehearse here about, you know, teaching the kids, the, uh, uh, teaching your kids the Word of God and scriptures and raising them up in the way that they should go. And I believe that it's the job of parents to disciple their children. And that's what education is. It's discipleship, period, the end. Like, that's how I look at it. It's not just teaching kids history and English and languages and math and science. It is discipleship. That's what education is. And it's our job to make to either disciple our kids or to make sure that they're being discipled. We very much feel, too, that you have one shot at this. They're not kids forever. You don't have multiple opportunities to disciple your kids. And so we are going to pull out all the stops, make all the sacrifices it required us to make, whether that's financial, time, whatever it means, energy, to make sure that our kids were getting the best discipleship possible by us, the parents. Mm-hmm. And so, um, again, without rehearsing all the biblical and even historical evidence in support of parental responsibility for discipling your children, and I, again, I, I see that as synonymous with education, is discipleship. The, um, without rehearsing all that, the number one objection is, yeah, but you know, we're called to be the salt of the world. And kids being in public school, Christian kids in public school, there's an important ministerial aspect to that. And uh, that objection to me has a very, very uh, simple and easy uh, rebuttal. Um, the simple fact of the matter is that um, there's difference. There's a major difference between what we call works of piety and works of mercy. And I think once we understand those differences, we can uh, clearly delineate why uh, there's an easy rebuttal to that to that objection. I'm going to jump in right here. We can pick up right there on the other side. Our in-studio guest today is Dr. Matt Ayers. He's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. We'll be right back.
the music of Planet Shakers with Only Way, reminding us that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation and eternal life. Our in-studio guest today is Dr. Matt Ayers. He's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And Dr. Ayers, if someone wants to get more information about Wesley or uh, just be in touch with you, how can they do that? Yeah, anyone can visit our website at wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. And I, I like to remind people that seminary is not just for pastors or full-time clergy. It's for everyone. Anyone who wants to go deeper in their understanding of Scripture, knowledge of doctrine and theology. Truth sets free. The more truth that we have and a personal encounter with Jesus in the endeavor, the pursuit of truth, um, is always going to enrich us. So, yeah, wbs.edu. All righty. Well, if you'll pick up right where you left off before we went into the break, please. Yeah, so the argument that, you know, against, like, say, homeschool or even private school, not sending your—and this fall in the same vein in the sense of not sending our kids to secular or non-Christian school is, well, aren't we called to be in the world but not of the world? And isn't that a way for Christians to be the salt of the earth, the preservation of morality and light in the darkness by sending your kids to school. And uh, there's a real, like I said, there's a real simple rebuttal to that objection. And uh, the first is just the risk to reward ratio. Like there's a tremendous risk of sending your kids out into the hands of someone else for six to eight hours a day to, to teach them and to, like I said, disciple them. Education is discipleship. Now, discipleship is certainly more than merely education, but it's a huge part of it. And so the question is, who are you giving your kids over to disciple? And and not just thinking in terms of like teachers, but also their peers are going to indoctrinate and disciple them as well. So to me, the risk is much higher uh, doing it that way uh, in terms of the risk reward ratio. There's certainly risks to homeschooling and private school as well. You can't eliminate all risks. We still live in a fallen world. Jesus's full kingdom and his return hasn't happened yet. So, but it's also, I was, I was beginning to say there's an important distinction between works of piety and works of mercy. So um, you mentioned the spiritual disciplines and works of piety, uh, works of piety, works of mercy or fall in the category of means of grace. Like how do we grow and change? How do we disciple someone or even disciple ourselves? We have to get into God's presence and God's presence is uh, manifest in what we call the means of grace, the ordained uh, practices, rituals, mechanisms uh, that God says, if you do this, I promise I will meet you in that place. Those are means of grace. And basically that now... That was John Wesley's word for basically spiritual habits, correct? Yeah, spiritual habits is a great way uh, to look at that, right? And and it's not it's certainly not restricted to just Wesley, but Wesley love had a love affair with this notion of the means of grace because he wanted to get into God's presence. Mm-hmm. And so um, we divide the means of grace uh, into two separate categories. One is works of piety, and those are the things that we know best, like scripture reading. You talked about three chapters a day, and you know, well, that's legalism. What's wrong with legalism? God gave us the law. <laughs> Jesus gave us laws. Now, mm-hmm. if it turns into merely legalism, then there we have a problem. But there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with legalism anyway. So scripture reading, prayer, fasting, uh, worship, uh, the proclamation and teaching of the word of God, all those sorts of things would be works of piety or what some people call the inward disciplines. Works of mercy are the outward disciplines or um, doing the things that Christ commands us to do, clothing the naked, feeding the hungry, serving the poor, uh, preaching in prisons, visiting people who are sick, um, doing the things that Christ talks about uh, in terms of the final judgment and devising between the lambs and the goats. And so uh, works of mercy are things, the outward disciplines that we do that 
God promises he will meet us there. When we do those things, I will send my presence to you. Think think ministry, really. So it's mm-hmm. not just works of piety, the inward disciplines, where God meets us and transforms our hearts, softens our hearts, conforms us to his image. He also sanctifies us when we serve him. When we partner with him in ministry and we go out and obey his commands, he does a sanctifying work in us and through us in that mechanism as well. So how does this apply to kids, right? Specifically, um, you know, when we talk about uh, education for our children, we're primarily talking about works of piety, the inward disciplines, teaching the scriptures, morality, uh, instruction. But kids also need to practice works of mercy. Uh, And the question is, is sending them to public school or secular school qualifies the best work of mercy? And when we say being the light of the world and the salt of the earth, we're talking about having a ministerial role in a dark, being a light in the darkness. Is sending them to a place where Satan reigns supreme for Mm. nearly 40 hours a week, is that Mm. the best work of mercy for your children? Or are there other options that you can use for works of mercy for your children? And again, the risk-reward ratio. And so, um, uh, and again, I, I want to come back to my first point, and that is every family um, has to pray and fast over this on their own. And in Haiti, we decided to homeschool five days a week and send them to Haitian school three days a week. That's what we wanted to do, and it was a great fit for us. So I, I hate to be prescriptive, mm-hmm. but I think those are sort of like the boundaries or at least let's say the lens through which I approach this this matter of educating our kids. And I have seven mm. kids, all under 14. Mm. Well, I want to ask if you'll take a moment specifically to pray for parents to grow to where they see the need to really take discipling their children very serious, and they become much very deliberate about the way they do it as well. Yeah, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray that you will cultivate in parents, me included, a deeper hunger and sense of urgency for the discipleship of our kids. Uh, Lord, it's no small matter in Scripture, and we are given a huge responsibility as you entrust those who belong to you first. Our kids are yours first, and we are merely stewards. Lord, help us to not neglect that responsibility. Help us to see it as second to following you and even synonymous with being faithful to you, um, fulfilling this duty of discipling our children. Truth sets kids free. And there's so many lies about there. The enemy wants to destroy our children. The question is, what are we going to do about it? So, Lord, help us to have wisdom and hunger to do something about it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, just following uh, along that same theme, too, um, we have a project that our listeners, uh, many of our listeners will be familiar with. It's called the Ten Commandments Project, and we've been doing it for a few years. And uh, it's a discipleship program, that a project that parents can use to both disciple their children, but also it could be used in, in a, for a youth director in a local church other, in other ways as well. But it's specifically a tool to help parents get the word in their children. Well, um, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to pray for the project, but also just like, for example, this is true that like uh, one of the things we found is like you can maybe go in a setting. It might be a church setting and say, um, we'll give $10 to anyone who can recite the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Often nobody takes us on upon mm-hmm. it. In other words, even people think, oh, yeah, I know them, but they know most of them or some of them or a few of them, but ten- typically, unless they've specifically decided I'm going to memorize them, right. people are surprised they don't know them, even pastors. Right. But at the same time, if the parents don't know them, it's a good possibility the children won't know them either. Mm-hmm. And so the ne- this this is just a project to help encourage them. And so part of the project involves 
encouraging parents to have them memorize them in order to get a free T-shirt. But also another part of the project has to do with children doing speeches on each of the Ten Commandments. And one of the things that's been so exciting about that is when the kids do their speeches, especially when they do their own, they have to do biblical research and they have to do research on the topic as well. And what we found is like just like like last year, we had about ended up with about 40 speeches. But what was so beautiful is you see we could see the Spirit of God working on and in every single child in a wonderful way. And then when we would have um, the parents and the child to come back on a given broadcast, what was so beautiful was the parents found great satisfaction and encouragement in seeing how God worked in their child's life when they participated and did the speeches. And so specifically, I want to ask if you'll pray for the project, but also for parents to decide that they're going to, again, be very deliberate about whether they take this project or another one, but really take the time to help their kids begin to put their gifts and strengths to use for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Jesus, we, uh, we, we come to you because you invite us to come. You've loved us. And you've come to us first. You want to be close to us. And so we want to think your thoughts on this matter, Lord. And we know um, because of things that you've taught us and revealed in Scripture that one of the things that you desire is to cultivate in us a hunger for the Word of God, as we read in Psalm 1 even today, that it's not just a legalistic, discipled, disciplined duty to read and consume and to study and to analyze, evaluate, your word, uh, but to get your word into us because we're hungry for it, we delight in it, and we love it, and we find you in it, that there is a satisfaction there as the bread of life that nothing else in this world um, can satisfy or fulfill. You said, as the word, as the logos, or the lagos, I am the bread, and uh, that same bread is the word of God. We see so many times in scripture uh, individuals being called to eat the scroll yes. and it was sweet in their bellies, maybe bitter in their mouths, but sweet in their bellies, Lord. And so we pray for this project that they, people would find uh, children and parents alike, deep satisfaction and fulfillment in the consuming of your word through this Ten Commandments project. And that through that, you'd also sharpen their wisdom and their discernment. So, Lord, uh, we thank you. You've gone ahead. You've gone uh, before us. You transcend time and space, and we trust uh, as we move forward in this project that we will find you there waiting for us. Amen. 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 Now, Dr. Ayers, I want to ask you to share just your thoughts and your perspective on this issue. Today in our world, we see, obviously, there there's so many uh, challenges and storms going on in our culture as a whole that Again, obviously, it's the church's job to bring truth to bear upon all the challenges and difficulties we're going through. But at the same time, there's some major challenges and storms going on within denominations. Right. Yeah. And I want to ask you to share some of your thoughts about why those, where the storms come from and the solution to them. Wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> it, you know, the first demon that Jesus cast out was in the synagogue. And I, I say in the church in that sense, among God's people. And uh, so many of the uh, works of the evil one, the liar and the destroyer, were done at the hands of those who claim to be God's people. And there's no doubt that the devil is in the pew of the church and doing all uh, that he can to divide the church, to scandalize the church, uh, to um, ruin the testimony and the purity of the church. 
And so it's no surprise uh, to me at all. I mean, we have Judas Iscariot as the most obvious example of this, that there is division, and yet we can even say evil within the church. Um, you know, one of the topics I teach on is spiritual warfare, and we talk about the three levels of spiritual warfare. And uh, one of the levels is against the redeemed, and another level is against the unredeemed. And uh, the devil's work against the unredeemed is to prevent them from becoming Christians. And then mm-hmm. uh, the work of the devil against the redeemed is to prevent them from being effective uh, for the gospel. So we know that he wages war against us because we are the body of Christ who crushes his head. And so uh, this, simply put, there's just the work of the devil in the pew, and we can't assume. The Scripture teaches this over and over again. We cannot assume that everyone who claims to be a Christian is Christian. It just is the simple fact of the matter. In fact, even throughout history, the heresies that rose up in the early church came from within the church. Mm-hmm. And so it's of no surprise. It's, it's, it's nothing historically new. Um, you know, the, the, one of the questions we could get into, which we don't have time for here, is um, is it intentionally evil or is it people who are led astray and deceived who are promoting uh, out of their deception. And, and, and there's a little bit of a different element there because of intentionality. Intention does, I think, in fact, matter. Um, so where it comes from. Now, as far as how to deal with it, the church has been dealing with this uh, for a long, long time. And um, there's no doubt it's, it's messy. And um, I think for me, we can never forget or abandon the command to be courteous to all people, um, to always uh, never repay evil, with evil, uh, yet to stand on the truth um, as is preserved in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, in the person of Jesus Christ, standing in um, the tradition of the church as led by the Holy Spirit. And it's it's always an attack on truth. And so we always mm-hmm. have to stand uh, for truth, no matter how messy it may get, uh, but at the same time, not losing the witness, uh, not just loving those who proclaim to be Christians and are not, but also loving our enemies and being willing to die uh, for our enemies. That doesn't mean to capitulate. Um, and so um, I think that that is something that we can never forget, and we always have to you know, maintain clarity. Uh, and the, the, the enemy loves to sow deceit and confusion. Mm-hmm. We have to keep our categories clean. He wants to bait and switch all the time. He is crafty, and he is shifty. We have to keep our categories clear and keep a broader perspective. Um, <laughs> innocent as doves, but as wise as serpents. And um, I think if we can just, and, and here's the thing, how do we do that? You know, we're limited human beings. Well, we have the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. So we have to stay close to Jesus through the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. We have to be in the Word. We have to be in prayer. We have to be in fasting. We have to take the Eucharist together. We have to worship together. We have to continue to do works of mercy. We have to, we can never stop doing what we do at advancing the work of the kingdom. But sometimes that work of the kingdom is turned inward in the church itself, as opposed to simply outward. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a double-edged sword, if you will. Well, and you know, I think of this too, in, in, in the Word of God, you know, like, um, of course, from the beginning, Satan's always, his goal has always been to question the Word of God, to get people to doubt the Word of God, to turn away from the Word. And you know, I think a truth that's simple, simple, but I think it's to the point for every believer everywhere, we're called to hear God's Word and obey it. That's right. And if we hear God's word and obey it, we're going to be on safe ground in all circumstances. But we're going to pick up there on the other side. Our in-studio guest is Dr. Matt Ayers. He's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. We'll be right back.
Andrew Peterson with Is He Worthy? Thanks for listening to the Hour of Intercession here on American Family Radio. Our in-studio guest today is Dr. Matt Ayers. He's the president of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, Dr. Ayers, uh, one more time, if someone wants to get in touch with Wesley or learn more about it, where do they go to do that? Yeah, thank you. They can go to wbs.edu. You know, W for Wesley, B, Biblical, S, Seminary, wbs.edu. All right. Uh, Talk about why is church tradition important? Is tradition a good thing or a bad thing? But talk about church tradition. Yeah, church tradition is a a really interesting topic, especially especially for Protestant believers, which, um, you know, I myself am certainly Protestant. um, Protestant. I identify my I, I I categorize myself as Protestant evangelical, and so we have an interesting history because of the Reformation. Uh, with church history, and I think that, or, or church tradition, uh, which is wrapped up in church history, and and I was teaching at church um, pretty recently, this within the past two three months, and I was a visitor teaching in a Sunday school class, not of my own tradition. I'm Methodist, and uh, I was at a different in a different denomination, and I asked the question uh, to the Sunday school group, which version of the Apostles' Creed do you guys typically do? or recite, whether that's in worship or wherever, whatever, you know, context. And and I was referring to, there's differing traditions on the Apostles' Creed. One refers to what we call the harrowing of hell, the descent into hell, and the other one doesn't refer to it. And I was asking if, if which one do they use? And someone kind of spoke up and said, we don't do uh, the creeds. We are Bible-only people. And and I thought, well, that that's, that's an interesting uh, sort of declaration because in 
in my view, that in and of itself is a tradition to be Bible only. And the Bible itself sits on the branch of tradition. You cut off tradition, the Bible goes with it. Um, We have the Bible, the 66 books of Scripture, because it is what the faith delivered once to all the saints have given to us as the historical witness to the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Matthew to Revelation, New Testament, is given to us by tradition. So you can't separate the Bible and tradition. Certainly the Old Testament comes to us through what we would define as tradition. And um, and I think that the person who said that, being well-meaning, you know, it's, it's an observation, not a criticism, um, you know, I, I pointed out in the moment that church tradition and the creeds and the councils, and we have to be specific, and which is beyond the scope of, of right now, but I'm referring to the first seven ecumenical creeds and councils. They are simply the distillation and the preservation of the biblical witness. They are not the invention, human invention adding to scripture, right? It is, it's an attempt led by the Holy Spirit among the earliest Christians to preserve that which the Bible definitively declares, right? So you can't go to a Bible verse that says definitively, Jesus is God. You know, the word Trinity is not even in the Bible. And so as these issues came up in the early church about, well, is Jesus God? Should we be worshiping him? Is that night idolatry? If he is God, does that mean he's not human, right? The Bible doesn't definitively declare explicitly because it tells a story we have to arrive at these interpretations through the right interpretation of Scripture with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the, the creeds simply preserve what they knew that witness to be. And so it's not different than the Bible. It's preserving the biblical message. Now, why am I talking about this now? Let me set a, a broader scope here. We talked about divisions within churches. You know, United Methodism is going through a major split right now, and it is certainly not the first. I just made reference to the Protestant Reformation, and of course, before that, the great schism between the Western Latin Church and the Eastern Greek Orthodox Church. And we talked about why do divisions arise in the church, and why do they split? And um, it, and I, I my response, uh, I talked about the importance of keeping our categories clean. We have to always keep in mind and differentiate between the essentials and the non- essentials. Um, I did a broadcast for AFR uh, two weeks ago, and I was doing exegesis on the book of Revelation, and um, wasn't talking about the rapture because I was only in the first chapter, and I had someone call me the next day in my office, a a listener, a pastor, told me I was going to hell because I didn't believe in the rapture. First, I never said I didn't believe in the rapture. I certainly believe that we will be caught up in the sky, and Jesus will literally return. It's not some, you know, idealistic metaphorical return. I believe in all those things. Um, uh, What we disagree on is the when and how in relation to a great tribulation and a thousand-year reign. Um, And so, but the declaration of one Christian made to another that you're going to hell because you don't believe in my version of how the end will take place is very, very misguided because that doctrine is not an essential for salvation. Essential versus non-essential. And some would use the distinction of dogma versus doctrine, right? What are the essentials? We're talking about the Apostles' Creed stuff. We're talking about the Trinity, the divine personhood of the Holy Spirit, the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the bodily resurrection, the virgin birth. That's Mm -hmm. the essential stuff that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And too often, Christians break fellowship over things that are non 
essential. Now, this gets mm-hmm. us into all sorts of problems. I have a friend of mine that I'm very close to, um, and he said, you know, the reason I can't, I'm not super close to him because he's not a Christian, but he said, I can't be a Christian because there's so much division in, in Christianity. And I know what he means by that. You know, the tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Protestant denominations we have. And, um, and then, of course, the Western church and the Eastern church. And I, but I, I push the issue. What do you mean by, you know, so many divisions? Well, y'all can't agree about anything. Well, that's the opposite of true, actually, because we all Christians believe in the essentials. From Greek Orthodoxy to Roman Catholicism to a congregational Baptist church, we all agree in the Apostles' Creed stuff. We all affirm the divinity of Christ. We affirm the humanity of Christ. We affirm the Trinity. We affirm the divine person of the Holy Spirit, bodily resurrection, the return of Christ, life, all the— We agree so that the church is more unified than the world would have it made out to be. And so I think that um, once we properly categorize and classify what is it that church tradition is and understanding church history, um, I think that brings a lot more grace into the picture and thinking about the story of the church. Because the greatness, the greatest witness to the lordship, the divinity of Christ, and the reality of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the greatest witness is the testimony of the church. Mm-hmm. And it has a good testimony because it's the bride of Christ. Are there not dark spots? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in any case, um, I think that's important as we're hearing more and more in the news about divisions in the church. And mm-hmm. it makes the, the world wants to make the church and Christians look like everybody mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. And we are just not. We do mm-hmm. agree on the essentials. And the essentials mm-hmm. being the preservation of the biblical historical witness of the person of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that too. That that's a, it's so critical that we understand that there's certain things, as you mentioned, non-negotiables. Yeah, that's absolutely. Just the way they are. Yep. So, yeah, I want to ask if you'll specifically just uh, br- briefly pray. Our, our time is just about gone here, though. But pray for one of the things I've observed as a as a, a pastor that's involved with the pro-life cause is after Roe v. Wade was overturned. On the mm. one hand, you have many churches that say, "Yeah, um, they're they're rejoicing over it, and it's great reason to rejoice because that was an important milestone." Yet, one of the things I've observed is, it seems like sort of sub subconsciously, churches seem to be sort of pulling back. Mm. And I know of one um, pregnancy ministry that is doing major work in Georgia, which is still a, an abortion state. Yet they said after Roe v. Wade was overturned. They're giving from uh, individuals in the church has dropped 80%. That's reflective of something that even though there are believers who say, oh, no, we know the job is not done, yet our actions speak for all of us. And so the need to understand that we need to be doubling down on it, not pulling back, because, again, until abortion is illegal in our nation, the, the, the battle continues. Would you pray for the church in that regard? Yeah, Lord, we thank you for uh, the battle that, the, at least that the battle in the greater war that has been won of the overturn of Roe versus Wade. But Lord, yes. the battle never ends. We are the universal church. Yes, Lord. And that means church triumphant, the saints who have been faithful and died and gone before and are worshiping you in glory. And then there's the church militant, and that is us who is here continuing to push back the gates of hell. And Lord, we know um, that that battle, it never ends. Thank you. And Lord, as things shift and battlefronts change and the, the, the soldiers shift and change and even the tactics of the battle yet change, Lord, we pray that you would make us as wise as serpents yet as innocent 
as doves, that you would convict our hearts and you would uh, make us generous people to not give up after the battle's been been won, but to continue to press on and press on uh, with yet more rigor still. And Lord, we need um, your perseverance. Jesus, you were the faithful witness that said, Lord, um, not my will, but your will be done. You made the great sacrifice. You continue to push on. And we ask that you would share that with us and share that with your church. As you called the disciples to pray, yet they fell asleep. Help us not to be like that. Help us to stay alert. Help us to have yet even a greater sense of urgency still for the protection and preservation of life, which you love so much. It's so clear in scripture that you create and sustain life and that your plan for the creation is the generation and sustaining of life and the murderer will try to snuff it out wherever possible. So Lord, we pray that we'd always be one step ahead. Uh, We pray that we would never neglect our duty and responsibility to serve you in the preservation of life. And so Lord, we thank you for the way that you resource us, equip us, and give us all that we need to move the gates of hell back further still. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Ayers. Well, as we normally do before we end the broadcast today, if you're listening today, and you've never made the all-important step of inviting Jesus Christ to come into your heart as Lord and Savior, today is a great day, a wonderful day to be saved. If you'd like to make that step, would you from your heart now pray this prayer with me and commit your heart and your life to the Lord? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me so very much. You came into this world a long time ago. You lived, you died on the cross to pay for all my sins. Three days later, you rose up from the dead so that I could be saved. Lord, I confess I've sinned and I've done wrong in many, many ways. Lord, I've sinned in so many ways. Lord, I repent and I turn from all the wrong I've done. Forgive me, Lord, for all the wrong things I've done. Lord Jesus, Come into my heart. Become the Lord and Savior of my life. In your word you told us, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, I'm calling on your name. Lord, save me. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to follow you and live for you all my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer, we very much would like to be in touch with you. Please email us. My email is joseph at afr.net. Again, that's joseph at afr.net. We'd like to share with you some literature and resources that are going to help you to begin to grow and grow strong in your new walk with the Lord. We definitely hope to hear from you. Once again, that email joseph at afr.net. Uh, Dr. Ayers, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, One more time, if someone wants to get in touch with you and learn more about Wesley Biblical Seminary, tell them how they can do that. Thank you. It's wbs.edu, wbs. That's for wesleybiblicalseminary.edu. Thanks again so much for being with us today. Thank you. All right. And please pray much for Dr. Matt Ayers and the work and mission of Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for the Hour of Intercession.
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.